Well, before I do anything else, I want to just take a moment to uh, just express gratitude. I'm sure I'm speaking for all of us to the worship teams for all the work that they've done in putting together these videos to help us worship on Sunday mornings these past several Sundays. Worship teams, thank you for doing that. Um, and then I also want to say a big thank you to Zach Hoffmeyer for putting together that just absolutely delightful collection of Easter greetings that I I uh, trust all of you have enjoyed. I know that was just a wonderful thing to watch. So, Zach, thank you for doing that. And uh, I also want you to know that I continue to be so encouraged and, and given lots of joy by the things that I'm hearing back from you. Uh, in fact, let me just share with you two things that I received this, uh, this past week. Um, first of all, this, this card, um, homemade card. This is from Lydia Baldry. And she, uh, she says to me, Dear Pastor Mike, Hi, it is Lydia Baldry. Just wanted to check in on you and see how you are doing. I miss church really bad. I love to sing songs. Also, I love to learn and share God's word. I have been writing so, so, so many cards to people. And then she's got three little hearts. Uh, love Lydia Baldry. And I don't know if you can see this, but on the other side, she says, God is a keeper. God is a helper. God is our strength. So just wonderful. Lydia, thank you for that sweet card. And then uh, also this past week, I got an email from Paul Meckler. Um, he was just sharing with me a little bit of kind of how things are going with their family. And then in this email, he says this. He says, I want to echo the thoughts that you've been receiving about joining the Sunday mornings in spirit with the church and how blessed we have been to worship together in spirit. Our three-year-old, Lucy, even announced excitedly to the rest of the kids, it's time to go to church at home. Um, also, she was calling you Pastor Bormore. Um, <laughs> but I assured her that you are very engaging. Uh, she has since learned how to say Pastor Bormore, uh, for which I'm very grateful. So, Lucy, if you're watching this morning, hi from Pastor Bormore. Um, I hope you have your Bibles with you. And uh, perhaps you have those Gospel of John scripture journals. Uh, and if you would uh, take those and turn with me this morning to the Gospel of John. I want uh, on this uh, unusual Easter Sunday of 2020, I want us to look together in God's word at the Gospel of John chapter 8. Um, I'm going to read just a brief section here uh, from this chapter from verse 12 to verse 20. So you follow along as I read. This is God's word. John chapter 8, starting at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, <clears throat> I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. 
I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let's just pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, thank you again for this sweet opportunity we have to gather around your word and to hear from you. And so, Lord, we pray, speak to us. Um, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past week, I had a friend um, mention to me uh, how he was thinking about how Easter Sunday this year is going to be very much like that first Easter Sunday. Because then, as now, Jesus' disciples were scattered and locked in their own homes in fear. Um, he went on, this friend went on to say that maybe that, that is going to help us to understand a little bit more what they felt like when Jesus came to them and said, peace be with you. So I want you to imagine the disciples on that first Easter Sunday. No doubt each one of them just trying to come to terms with what had happened. Their, their teacher, their friend, their Lord hung on a cross and killed. And no doubt each one of them would have, would have had memories, very specific memories kind of cycling through their minds, things that they remembered of times spent with him, maybe moments of conversation or, or moments of, of them watching him interact with people or observing him as he was teaching, either them privately or publicly out with the crowds. And certainly uh, one of the memories that I'm sure passed through their minds at some point over those days is this one of Jesus standing there in the temple speaking to the people. Please notice in verse 12, it says, again, Jesus spoke to the people there. That is referring actually back to chapter 7 and verse 37, where it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And here, John says at the beginning of our passage that Jesus again spoke. So he's again there in the temple. It's the exact same scene. So when John says in verse 12 that Jesus spoke to them, he's talking about that gathered crowd of people there that day in the temple. And at that time, in that moment, Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We hear that and we think, what is he saying? What does he mean when he says that? Well, we'll get there in just a moment. It's the main thing that we want to look at today. But first, we've got to deal with what's happening in the rest of these verses. Because as soon as Jesus says what he says in verse 12, the Pharisees, who are there in the crowd and are listening, I mean, they object. They, they say, you, you can't do that. You, you cannot bear witness to yourself. Someone else has got to bear witness to you. Look at verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Therefore, your testimony is not true. 
Now, let's try to follow this very closely. Jesus responds to their objection with two answers. First, he says, listen, I am perfectly able to bear witness about myself, given who I am. If you only knew who I am, look with me at verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Jesus is saying, I know who I am. You, you don't know who I am. If you knew who I am, you wouldn't question either what I said or my authority to say it. And then he says in verse 15, he says, you're judging according to the flesh. I, I don't judge anyone that way. You're judging purely by appearances, purely by what you see, just some ordinary human being. You're judging on a purely kind of materialistic ground. So that's the first answer that Jesus gives. I have every right to say this because of who I am. But then Jesus gives a second answer. Look at verse 16. He says, yet even if I do make judgments like this, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Do you see what Jesus is, is saying in his second answer? Not only do I have every right to make claims like this, given who I am, but secondly, he says, God actually is bearing witness. There is another who is bearing witness to the truth of what I'm saying. All through Jesus' time here on earth, God, God the Father, was bearing witness to him. Sometimes very directly, like when the voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. But most often through these powerful signs that Jesus was doing, healing the sick, um, casting out demons, healing, even raising the dead. Jesus certainly had the power to do those things himself. He possessed the ability to do those things. But when people would have been observing him, they would have seen what looked like an ordinary man, but now with, with absolutely divine power. He had power over the storms. That's like God. He had power over diseases. That's like God. He, he had power over demons, power over death. Only God has that. This is really the heartbeat of Jesus' ministry, his oneness with the Father. I and the Father are one. He said that so many times, and there can be, there just can be no higher claim that Jesus can make this oneness with the Father, the Father present with him, the Father in him, bearing witness to him. So that's what Jesus is saying here. And yet, still, these Pharisees challenge him. Look at verse 19. They, they said to him, therefore, where, where is your father? Still thinking on this purely human, natural plane. I mean, if only they knew. If only they knew him. If only they knew the father. Jesus is saying, if, if only you, you knew, you'd know that what I'm saying 
is true. In fact, you'd be saying, yes, you are the light. Just like, remember, just like Peter back in chapter 6, who said to Jesus, where else can we go? We know you have the words of eternal life. We know you are the Holy One of Israel. But these Pharisees, they, they don't know. So they resist what Jesus says. But notice, verse 20, but no one arrested him. For what I'm sure they were considering blasphemy. No one arrested him for that because his hour had not yet come. Uh, his hour is coming when he will hang on a cross and he will die. And then three days later, he will rise from the dead and by so doing accomplish all of God's perfect purpose. Remember, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His hour is coming when he will accomplish that. So in verses 13 through 19, Jesus is saying uh, with great composure, great calmness, but with absolute conviction and authority, he is saying, my testimony is not just true, it is the truth. And every one of you needs to come to terms with that, Jesus is saying. And that brings us right back to what he said back in verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That's his testimony. And his testimony is true. What he is saying is true. But now... Let's ask the question, what does that mean? What does it mean when someone stands up and says, I am the light of the world? I mean, this, this absolutely uncompromising claim. Jesus is not saying, you know, well, I am a light. I'm one of many lights that you might look to. So, you know, if you happen to be interested in the kind of thing that I'm doing, you could look to me for light. No, Jesus says, I am the light of the whole world. What is Jesus communicating when he says those words? Well, you know this. Light is one of the, one of the great metaphors, one of the great symbols uh, in the Bible. In fact, it's one of the great metaphors in all of human language. We see this showing up in our own way of speaking at times. You know, when we say, uh, well, um, he just hasn't seen the light or the light finally dawned on that person, or sometimes even when we say, uh, speaking about someone else, that they are the light of our lives. Um, light is one of these kind of archetypal metaphors of all human language, and we have, I think, a general intuitive sense of what Jesus means when he uses that language, but we can find more specific help in understanding what Jesus means right here in this book. Um, think back to the very first verses of the Bible and those majestic words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. The very first thing, light, I mean, we're talking here about a, a primary, fundamental uh, reality 
And then I think to the first verses of the Gospel of John. Here's John very purposefully tapping back into those opening words of the Bible. And what, what, does, what does John say at the, beginning, at the beginning of his Gospel? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John goes on, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And then listen to this, what John says, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And, and, and this is how the Bible regularly speaks about God and ultimately about Christ. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. That's David in 2 Samuel chapter 22. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Psalm 27. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. That's Psalm 119. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light speaking about the coming of the Messiah. That's Isaiah chapter 9. The Lord will be your everlasting light. Isaiah chapter 60. This is the message that we have heard and proclaimed to you that God is light. 1 John chapter 1. In him is the light of life. That's what Jesus is saying. In other words, what we need to live to really live and flourish is this light, this light that God is. That's what our life depends on. And now Jesus is standing here saying, I am bringing that light to you in myself. I am the light. So when Jesus stands and speaks those words, he is claiming to be God and he is claiming as God to have that which every human being needs to live. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So it's Jesus or darkness. Jesus says exactly the very same thing just a few chapters later. This is chapter 12, uh, verse 46 where Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness. So there's this meaning to Jesus' words. Light as what is necessary for us to have real life, to live real life, to know and to see what is true and what is real so that we're not stumbling around in the darkness. That's what Jesus is talking about. But I want us to see there is, there's another aspect, another dimension to these words carried in, this, in these words that Jesus speaks in verse 12. Jesus knows that something is coming in the not too distant future. His hour had not yet come, but it's coming. And that hour would culminate in a blazing flash of glorious light. Um, you know, this metaphor, this language of light and darkness, it lines up almost exactly with the language of life and death. Light and life, darkness and death. In fact, we see that right here in our own passage. You shall have the, the light of life. 
such that when when the gospel writers are talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, they tell us that when Jesus was hanging on the cross dying, darkness fell over all of the land, this visible symbol of Christ's dying. But then, in his resurrection, it's all light. In the morning, when the sun had risen, Mark makes it a very specific point to tell us that when the sun had risen and we see these angels there in this shining raiment, Matthew says it's like lightning. Um, Luke tells us that their, their apparel was, was dazzling. Out of darkness into this glorious light in the resurrection, there, there is a, uh, a wonderful little moment at the end of the book of Acts. The great apostle Paul, he's in prison um, he's already appealed to Caesar, and he's waiting there up in Caesarea, up in the north of Israel, waiting to be transported over to Rome. And while he's waiting there, the Roman governor of that province, a guy named Festus, talks to the king, King Agrippa, about, um, about Paul. And uh, Agrippa is so intrigued, he says, you know, I'd like to hear him for myself. And so it's arranged that Paul is able to give his defense before Agrippa. That's what we read in Acts chapter 26. And after, after Paul has told his story, uh, this is what Paul says. I stand here testifying both to small and to great saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light, both to our people and to the Gentiles. Do you hear that? By being the first to rise from the dead. Now, don't stumble over that. I know we think about Lazarus or we think about that little girl that Jesus raised from the dead. Those were both resuscitations. They both still had to die again. Jesus was the first one to rise from the dead, out from death. And Paul is saying here that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light. Friends, there is in John chapter 8, Verse 12, those words of Jesus, there is there more than just a little intimation of his resurrection glory. No, there is, there is a full anticipation in Jesus' words of what will happen when his hour does come. Yes, he'll die on the cross, but out of that darkness, he will bring light. And not just for himself, but for all who follow him, we will have the light of life. Well, let me try to wrap this up. Um, it is really important for us to realize that the Bible is not merely a book of advice and a book of rules telling us what to do. Um, it is mainly a book of redemption telling us what God has done. The Bible's not primarily commands, you know, with a few stories sprinkled in. It's primarily a story, the story, the ultimate true story with some commands along the way. And the story is the story of redemption. God redeeming his, his people, people who are desperately uh, trying to make up for their failures, desperately trying to get back to God somehow. And the story tells us that God 
says to us, listen, uh, you can't get here from there. So I'll come get you. Jesus came. He gave himself up for us. He, he conquered the darkness and he brought light. His death, rather than being a defeat, his death became a weapon in his hands by which he defeats death. And, and his resurrection is not, it's not just some kind of supernatural survival story. No, it is about the beginning of new life, full of light forever. He came down from heaven, all the way down, down, down into a womb, down into poverty, down into pain, ultimately down into a tomb, into death, and then up. Out from that darkness again into the brilliant light of new life, which he offers to whoever follows him, whoever comes to him. Listen, you know this. As human beings, we have a tendency to put our trust at the heart level into all kinds of things. We, we trust our, our bank accounts, our financial security. We can put our trust in our reputation or in our family connections or in our intellectual abilities or our physical strength. All of these things that can be taken away in a moment, just like that. And all of which will ultimately fail. But this, this cannot be taken away. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. And Jesus is calling us to do this, to come to him, to give ourselves over to him who gave himself up for us. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. We thank you for this gift, this free gift, gracious gift of life through your Son. And so, Father, this Easter we pray, grant us faith to believe and grant us faith to persevere. We recognize our lives are in your hands. And so we this Easter Sunday thank you for rescuing us and redeeming us through Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, God bless you, uh, Easter. Easter blessings on each and every one of you. I hope you have a wonderful day, and I will look forward to seeing you again next week. Bye-bye.